electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, a new day, a new record as the presidential race cranks up. Will soaring socks sway the outcome? We've got numbers you're going to want to see. Alaska Airlines CEO Lane into Boeing. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm more than frustrated and disappointed. I am angry. Can Boeing withstand the growing backlash into its max jet crisis? Taking the Bitcoin bait, how retail investors may be left holding the crypto bag yet again. It is an easygoing green, stunning research showing how a move from fossil fuels could drain money from communities most in need. Plus, it is arguably the most boring, sleepiest part of the stock market. So why are insurance stocks suddenly going wild? And iPhone users, listen up. Apple has a critical update to help stop criminals in their tracks. All that and more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. Hi, everybody. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. All that and more coming up in our hour. But first up on last call, call it stronger things. Netflix media takeover continues. Shares making money right now following a blowout fourth quarter. Netflix added more than 13 million subscribers. That is the most since the pandemic. Netflix now has a record 260.8 million paid subs. Results come after Netflix announced that it is set to enter the live events ring, striking a $5 billion deal to be the new home of WWE Raw. Yep, $5 billion for pro wrestling. Shares of WWE parent company TKO spiked on the news. Should we call that a a super fly move higher or, or no? That just dates us. Anyway, in a separate announcement, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to join TKO's board. And here's what the former wrestling superstar and highest paid actor in Hollywood said about the Netflix deal on Squawk on the Street today. When it comes to Netflix, I'm excited about it too, 52 weeks live. That's a lot of rock raising the eyebrow every week for Netflix. (laughs) Safe to say, the like, the rock like, I screwed that up. The rock likes what Netflix is cooking. I had it all down. Anyway. Does this solidify Netflix as the heavyweight champion of media? All right, let's talk about it with our leadoff panel tonight. CNBC's senior media and tech correspondent, Julia Borston, and founder and president of EMJ Capital, Eric Jackson. I just gave away how little wrestling I watched, Julia. Anyway, you listened in on the earnings call. What did Netflix say about this wrestling deal? I mean, literally, how big of a deal is this? It's a big deal, and they say it's a perfect fit for Netflix. We're talking about 
uh, $5 billion over 10 years. This is all about not only using the live events, but also using the content to build more scripted programming or docu-series around those main characters. So they see this as a very key starting point. They also talked about how WWE has really been under-leveraged, under-monetized internationally. So they see a huge opportunity there because they do own those international rights. Take a listen to why they say this sports entertainment is a perfect fit for the streaming platform. We are thrilled uh, to bring this WWE live programming to our members around the world. Uh, WWE Raw is sports entertainment, which is right in the sweet spot of our sports business, which is the drama of sport. Um, think of this is uh, 52 weeks of live programming every week, every year. Uh, it feeds our desire to expand our live event programming. And I just have to say here, they were asked if this means they're changing their strategy. Maybe they're going to be interested in bidding for NBA rights. They did not comment on NBA rights, but they said that this does not change their strategy around sports. They are interested in live events. Certainly, this is a huge move into live events, but it did not seem like they're going to be making a big, big bid for those very pricey NBA rights. Yeah, Eric, I mean, we're not we're not dunking on wrestling. I want to be clear. I know millions of people really like it. It just came, I think, as a bit of a surprise. A billion, I, I think, is still a lot of money. The market obviously liked it. They like the subscriber numbers. How do you read it? Well, it was a take-a-bow quarter for Reed Hastings and the whole Netflix team, for sure. I, I don't buy that, uh, that this is just adjacent sports. I do think this is the start of something big. I mean, let's face it, Netflix is going to put anything on the air that drives eyeballs sticking around longer usage. They've, they've always said that they wouldn't get into sports until what? Today. Then they're saying that it's only sports adjacent until when? Until they capture bidding rights for whatever the major sports league is that they think is going to drive viewership. Um, they're the king of all media. I mean, this is, this is clear from these results. They've come out of this writer's strike. Uh, really leading the charge with cost cut, uh, subscriber numbers up a lot, way more than expected. And most important, they are a free cash flow machine again. And that's what's going to pay for all this content that's going to come. They're in this flywheel position. They used to be a free cash flow machine, Brian, when they mailed out the DVDs. They lost it when they got into streaming, but now you can see it's coming back big time. Six billion free cash flow this year, eight billion free cash flow next year. Yeah, Julia Borston, I mean, listen, we, we are obviously in the streaming game with our Peacock. Go Peacock. But when we bring up that board, guys, again, we look at the, the absolute numbers. I know Peacock is, is mostly domestic. Netflix is growing huge around the world. But, I mean, they're 61 million above the next biggest, which is a lot of the Prime videos, people who probably just have Prime and get the video. I mean, are we ready to anoint a crown here? Well, look, Netflix has a massive first mover advantage. They are so much larger than any of these other platforms, so much more global. If you look at those 260 million plus subscribers, the key opportunity for here, Netflix, is offering advertising. Advertising means they can keep prices low, they can create a new revenue stream. And what was really interesting on the call that I don't know how many people picked up on this, but they said that as their success cracking down on password sharing continues to roll out, and as they continue to find success with what they call paid sharing, that they are gonna be able to raise prices again. So you're gonna have a situation here where Netflix continues to raise prices on the ad-free version of the, the service and continues to keep prices low for the ad-supported version of the service. 
All that does is it means that they're able to expand their user base while also getting some people to pay a lot more for their service. So if you look at the 260 million people and you wonder how they continue to grow that number, the answer is by using ads, they'll be able to keep the prices down to reach an even greater, group, larger group of people. Yeah, Eric, we've done it. I mean, I'm, I, I personally am a bit surprised the ad tier continues to attract the most people, but that a lot of wallets are tight. We get that. Nobody seems to care about the EPS, miss. Do you think that's an investor mistake? I don't think so because the guide for next quarter was a was a beat on the EPS. So I think that gave some comfort. If it had been this, you know, this quarter's miss on its own, then maybe people would have get, gotten jittery. But I think people looked at the, the this biggest fourth quarter sub number ever. Uh, this continue. That's a great point by Julia. You know, we're a, a year away from when they announced this this uh, ad tier, and the subs have been rolling in quarter after quarter. Uh, a lot of people love that lower tier price point, and so uh, and, and we've got the, the free cash flow and the growing earnings, the operational margins. They got it to twenty six percent next quarter, so that gives investors lots of comfort. Well, I have a feeling it's going to be a big story on CNBC again tomorrow. Tomorrow's news tonight, maybe. Julia Borston, Eric Jackson, thank you. All right, in the meantime, a mixed day for your money at the end, but overall still pretty darn good. The Dow ended a little lower, but other indexes rising again. That means more record highs. If you're at a record and you go up, you don't need to be like a Harvard math person to know that's also a new record. Your stud and dud of the day, the big winner, Verizon. Big growth there in their wireless customers. The big loser, 3M, down 11%. They are seeing weak demand, particularly in China and certain segments. Ouch. Meantime, let's get a check on the futures, of course. Listen, thinly traded, but at new records. And a little bit of green on your screen right now. All right, we've got a long way to go. And up next... Alaska Airlines CEO letting loose on Boeing. Is its 737 MAX jet crisis about to take a turn worse? Plus, mixed earnings? No problem. But will a coming wave of big-name results derail the record rally? Stay with us. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older. Like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, let's get to tomorrow's news tonight. And first up, Alaska Airlines CEO is speaking out in an exclusive interview with NBC News. CEO Ben Minucci revealing the company found many 
loose bolts on their Max 9s in the wake of this month's near-air disaster on Flight 1282. Alaska is now stepping up its due diligence with Boeing airplanes. We are now putting our own extra oversight on the production line in Boeing. We are sending our audit people to audit their quality control systems and processes to make sure that every aircraft that comes off that production line that comes to Alaska has the highest levels of excellence and quality. Now, according to Reuters, Boeing CEO David Calhoun expected to meet with Senators Ted Cruz, Mark Warner, and others this week following the subsequent 737 MAX 9 grounding. And that is not all from Boeing. It will be holding a quality stand-down Thursday and halting output in the Seattle area where it builds those 737s. During the operation, employees will attend quality workshops to evaluate processes and make recommendations for future improvements. Finally, Texas Instruments out with results and kicking off reporting for chips with some calls for caution. The company called out, quote, increasing weakness across industrial and sequential decline in automotive, unquote, sending shares of TI down after hours off just under 5%. All right, staying with earnings. The season is in full swing and so far a fairly mixed bag of results, but it's not over. And later this week, some big stocks you may own unveil their figures. Names you know, like Tesla, heard of them, Intel, Comcast, great company, Visa, T-Mobile, Amex, Norfolk Southern, and more. The question is, will results from them and more help push the market's momentum even higher or bring the record-breaking rally to a halt? With us tonight with more is New York Life Investments economist and chief market strategist Lauren Goodwin. Lauren, good to have you back on Last Call Are we priced to perfection or will good numbers, if we get them, move this market even higher? We are priced for perfection, Brian. The market's expecting about 12% increase in earnings activity. And relative to last year where earnings were flat, that looks really challenging, especially because whether you're in the soft landing or hard landing side of this economic debate that we're having uh, nationally, everyone expects economic activity to slow. And so we see there being some risk ahead for equity markets as a whole. And so earnings quality becomes all the more important. Have you been happy with the earnings quality that you've seen so far? And in kind of in layman's terms for the last call audience, what does earnings quality mean to you? Yeah, so when you're looking for a a company that can provide reliable value in a portfolio, it's companies that are experiencing consistent demand and or able to manage costs, essentially companies that are able to print reliable revenues. Now, there's a reason why the Magnificent Seven, some of the big tech names have been uh, so so valued, so um, excitable over the last couple of years. It's because they're an example of companies that are printing those reliable revenues. But we are seeing them throughout sectors. In fact, that's, that idea, revenue quality, to us is more important than sector, especially as we as economic activity starts to slow. Yeah, you know, we, listen, we're guilty of it, too. We always refer to stocks and, you know, valuations. We usually start with P.E. ratios, price-to-earnings ratios. I think price-to-sales is probably a better metric because it's harder to fudge. Not that people are fudging earnings. But it's harder to fudge sales, Lauren. And two and a half times sales, the S&P 500 is historically fairly expensive right now. That's that's the case. So so in that environment, how can we navigate? How can we find the opportunities? Uh, 
when you're looking at equities, like I said, as a whole, we're more concerned that equities can outpace what are already pretty high expectations, especially relative to flat earnings growth last year. So that's an environment where perhaps investors who can take a little bit of their equity-like risk Take that in fixed income asset classes, even high yield, where you have price volatility expectations similar to that of equity, but you're gaining coupon, you're gaining yield along the way. But even within equity, we see that there are some pretty interesting opportunities. We're looking at... sectors, areas where we expect some more resilience over the course of the year. Um, For us, we really like infrastructure as an opportunity that looks more defensive. But there are also areas of of the tech and AI story that we think are interesting. We've talked about how big tech is expensive, but these are companies that are really needed for some of the AI expansion that investors are excited about. We're just taking a more balanced approach where we're adding the sort of the physical layer, the infrastructure that helps get them their digital infrastructure, as well as some of the application layer SMID growth that we think will be built on top of those original seven um, outperformers in the space. Yep, there you go. And I did see a chart, actually, Lauren, we'll let you go, where the mentions of AI have actually come down a little in subsequent quarters. We'll see if that continues. Lauren Goodwin, thank you very much. See you again. All right, still ahead, presidential race. You might have heard about it kicking into high gear tonight. How much could the record rally for stocks and your portfolio sway the ultimate outcome? Good bipartisan discussion on that. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. So I got a bonus TNT for you just out eBay slashing about a thousand jobs that according to an announcement just out from the company now cuts will amount to about 9% of eBay's full-time workers. eBay CEO saying, quote, we need to better organize our teams for speed, allowing us to be more nimble, bring like work together, whatever the heck that means, and help us make decisions more quickly. Doesn't explain why they scaled up to that original number of employees in the first place. In the meantime, as they usually do when you announce layoffs, which is awful, the stock is higher after hours. All right, well, the 2024 presidential race beginning to kick into high gear. The country is awaiting results from the New Hampshire primary on the GOP side. It is Trump versus Haley, and while Haley has gained momentum in the Granite State, the odds are still pretty high that Trump will be the GOP nominee ultimately. And unless Congressman Dean Phillips can really outperform in today's Democratic primary, remember, President Biden chose to skip the state, but there still is a primary going on. Biden will also likely be the nominee in November, which means despite what most Americans having no interest in a Biden versus Trump rematch, it's what we're all going to get because democracy. And despite being an incumbent president, Biden is trailing Trump in nearly every national poll. A new morning consult poll out this week finds Donald Trump holds a five point lead nationally over Joe Biden. That is the largest margin yet. Some polls have Trump up as much as 8 or 10% in swing states. That is well out of the margin of error. Now, the economy remains top of mind for most voters. 
followed by national security and jobs. The border, also an increasingly big issue. With Customs and Border Protection official data showing six and a half million encounters in the southern border in just the last three years. We are currently on pace for nearly three million more this fiscal year. But as usual, the economy is the big issue. And as we have said on this program many times, for much of America, the economy is doing very well. There are now exactly five million new jobs added to the economy since just before the pandemic and lockdowns hit. And if you are an asset owner, the economy is really good. Home prices are up. Stocks at record highs, including the huge post-pandemic pop. But here at CNBC, we are intellectually honest enough to ask, does the stock market even matter to voters? Joining us now is former chief of staff to Vice President Michael Pence and CBC contributor Mark Short and former top aide to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Melissa DeRosa. Thank you for both. I mean... Indiana, New York, are you allowed to be in New Jersey, first off? <laughs> We're glad to welcome you here uh, for another bipartisan civil conversation. Melissa, does the, does the stock market matter? I mean, look, 61% of Americans have an investment in the stock market. So certainly the stock market matters. However, unless there's something massive that happens in the stock market, a major drop, it's not something that is top of mind to voters day to day. So while it's a great talking point, while it, it certainly undercuts what Trump was saying would happen in the stock market should Biden be elected. Yeah, he said it would crash. We're at a record he high now. He certainly did. It doesn't matter as much as things like inflation, gas prices, interest rates. And so those are the things I think that are still yeah. driving much more of the election. I, and consumer confidence, while up, is lagging. We'll get to inflation in a second. We've got a whole thing planned for that. Don't <laughs> jump the script. But, Mark, I will say this. President Biden's in, in, he's got to be a little careful with the stock market rhetoric, I think. On one hand, he's going to want to brag and say the stock market's at record highs and my predecessor said it would crash and now here we are at record highs. I get it. But you also don't want to exacerbate the the wealth inequality that will come from asset prices going up while half the country or 39 percent doesn't own stocks. I think he's actually been pretty cautious, to be fair. I do think that uh, the last three months have obviously been really good for the market as uh, interest rates have capped and believe it's going to be coming down. Conversely, the paradox of the market going up, though, is that likely you have more and more job layoffs as the economy cools. And so that's going to be kind of the conundrum he faces as he tries. Yeah, but the government's adding a lot of jobs. Five million jobs added since the pandemic, and a lot of those are the government's state and federal. Unfortunately, the government never stops growing. It just keeps going. There's 26 going. million government employees now in the United States. Uh, too many. Well, uh, oh, no. Well, I was just as a I, former I, government employee, <laughs> Melissa, I no. was, too. Oh, that's right. You, too. No, I was going to say, I think the Fed has done an incredible job at sort of reining in inflation while not causing major layoffs. And I think if they're able to continue that dance artfully going into 2024 and you see stability and you see the consumer confidence continuing to grow, it's only good for Biden. But unlike Trump, Biden has not been out bragging and overstating where the stock market currently is. I think he's trying to keep expectations level, and I think he's doing it responsibly going into the year. I think that for most voters, you continue to see that the economy is a lagging number for yeah. Joe Biden. But I do think that I'm probably, unlike a lot of Republicans, I think it could benefit him over the course of the next 10 months, because for the first time in three years, real wages are actually outpacing um, inflation and interest rate hikes, obviously. So real wages are up for the first time in three years. And I, I don't think that that's really sunk in yet for a lot of the, the voters. So and how it's that segues very nicely to my next thing. And I'm going to and I want to and I want to 
quantify this. I'm doing this because I like the restaurant, not because I'm picking on the restaurant. We picked it because I know it and I know the prices of the last few years. Okay, so listen to this both. So we're talking about inflation at a high level, but let's get granular, okay? So we wanted to look into one of the my, sort of my go-to spots when I'm in the Midwest visiting family or friends in lovely Madison, Wisconsin, or Milwaukee. This is where they're based. And it's called Cops. And they got a couple locations, a burger and custard place. I go there a couple times a year, great people. They're dealing with higher costs like everybody else. So we used the Wayback Machine and looked at prices on the menu at Cops from 2021 to now. Burgers, French fries, chicken sandwiches, they've gone up 20, 25, or even 30%. Cops, obviously not alone, not picking on love you guys. And yes, while the rate of inflation, the rate of inflation has come down, Melissa, there are no signs that actual prices are going to come down. A meal for four at Cops maybe used to cost you 40, now it costs you 50, and that's, by the way, everywhere in the United States. I think that's the inflation battle Biden has to win. No, it's the pocketbook stuff. No, you're 100 percent correct. And, uh, you know, since the pandemic, across the board, average inflation is up 19 percent. And people feel that. Now, there's a theory that as time goes on, we're becoming more acclimated to it. So you don't feel the same sticker shock. To your point, real wages are starting to increase and are beginning to outpace yeah. inflation. And so the question is, what happens in the next nine critical months? Are those trends able to continue? And even if you don't see the price of the hamburger go down, do you feel it less? Because, number one, you're more used to the price change. And number two, your real wages are beginning to increase. And I don't, you know, honestly, I don't think there's anything, Mark, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that President Biden or Trump or whomever could do about that. We locked people out. It was hard to get employees back. Most of those cost increases are probably just increased wages. And we're not going to see wages get cut because you still have a hard time finding employees. Well, I don't know what anybody could do about that. I'd probably take a little bit of issue because, yes, I certainly wouldn't have supported all the lockdowns as they happened. That's but a whole different Even segment. after that, I do think that Joe Biden pushed way too much fiscal stimulus into the system that generated much of the inflation that we incurred. So I do think he owns the inflation that we experienced. Having said that, again... Melissa's point, you've seen interest rates come down, markets are going up, Mm -hmm. your wages are going up. I think that that narrative could turn over the course of the next 10 months into Election Day. I don't think anybody disagrees we needed the 2020 pandemic response. Everything was shut down. But as somebody who traveled extensively all through it, I saw that half the country basically never stopped moving. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're still stimulating like everybody's shut down. But I'm in Indiana. I'm in Wisconsin. I'm in Houston. I'm in Charleston. I'm in Florida. And the kids were in school and everything was normal. And yet we're throwing trillions at the problem. Right. But right. that's not going to sell in the election. My, you know that. <laughs> well, I, I think that for many, frankly, Democrats. No one even there, cares about 33 was, trillion in debt, Mark. No was, one cares about 33 trillion in debt. Why not? Well, I mean, certainly, certainly we should. I think at this point, at 34 trillion dollars, and there's no pathway out. And all we're doing is adding another two trillion each and every year. Uh, but I think that if you begin to see interest rates actually rise in accordance with the higher mm-hmm. uh, debt, then perhaps people begin to feel in their own pocketbook. No, look, I think that you're right. People don't think about the debt because it's not something in their day-to-day lives that impacts them whatsoever. And the numbers are so massive that they're not something the average person can get their head around. It's like talking about the universe. Billions and billions of stars. Yes, that's right. And it's tomorrow's problem. It's our kids' problem. It's our grandchildren's problem. We just keep kicking the can down the road. So, you know, listen, I think that the question is going to be, do we have stability? Is there going to be anything that happens, you know, geopolitically where you have 
issues in China, more issues in the Middle East and Russia that then, you know, impact supply chain that then, you know, spike the gas prices again. These sort of unknowns that could play a factor going well, into the next 10 months. By the way, Melissa, things are heating up the Middle East. We bombed Yemen again. We bombed Iraqi targets again. Yep. I mean, we got, we're real close. We had two Navy SEALs die tragically in the Red Sea, got almost no national attention. By the way, God bless them and their families. Um, a lot could happen in the next nine, 10 months. A lot could. And while things are moving in the better direction, you know, you're still seeing Trump ahead because I think. Well, would you believe, poll, if, I'm not saying, I don't know if the, if the poll said Biden was up or Trump is up. I, how much of, are you, you're a political strategist. Are you a believer in polls? I'm a believer in polls when you're outside the margin of error. Okay. Now, we're still 10 months out. I do think that there is a romanticizing that happens of I was better off back then. But a lot of that is real. You know, put COVID aside, and that's a big asterisk for the former president. Before that, gas prices were much lower than they are today. Inflation was much lower than it is today. Do we so need, I think Melissa, do think- we, and Mark, quickly, and I know we're running out of time. Do we need to hear more from the president? I've been hot on this on my Twitter account. I'll say it on the show, too. I say the same things either place. I think Biden's last live real interview was in July. He just doesn't, I don't know if he hates the media, just doesn't talk. I don't know what it is, but you're in election year. We're going to need debates live presidential debates. And if you were advising Biden, would you say we need to hear from you more directly in an unscripted format? I think that we need to hear from the president more about what he's doing in Washington and how it connects to people's pocketbooks and their day-to-day lives, which is something he has been not effective at up until this point. I don't think it's his strength. I think he won in 2020 by the basement strategy, which I don't think was the wrong strategy. I think if Trump is out front, Trump generates such high negatives that it correlates to his advantage. And so yeah, he should be doing more, but I don't think he will. I think you know, it would, wouldn't benefit him. I, correct. I think in a head-to-head matchup, I think that Biden wins. I think Trump had 46% in 2016, yeah. 46% in 2020. But I think the thing people aren't talking enough about is if it comes a three-way or four-way, five-way race, that Well, it is. Trump. You can't discount Robert Kennedy that, Jr. That benefits okay. Trump. The more candidates are in there because Trump's support is polarized. You're either emphatically mm-hmm. for him or you're for Who does Kennedy Jr. We were debating this in the green room before. Who does Kennedy Jr. help or hurt more? Oh, he absolutely Everyone's like, he's helping Trump. He absolutely helps Trump. Absolutely you think so? Helps absolutely. Trump. Every, every additional candidate does because his support, the people are so passionate, they're not going to leave him. If you give multiple places to people who oppose him to go, it benefits Trump. Isn't the biggest risk to Biden, though, and we also have that just people just don't vote? Well, they won't vote for Trump. They're not going to switch. It's like I can't vote for Biden. Well, 70% of the American public don't want either of these guys. So Come to on. your point, you then, if you've got Robert F. Kennedy as an off-ramp and Jill Stein, who we remember played a critical role in 2016 in undercutting Hillary yeah. Clinton, then you start to see some of that vote shift. 70% out. of the country don't want it, and that's probably what we're going to get, because <laughs> something, something threat to democracy. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Mark, Melissa, great stuff. Civil, smart, kind. I, I might even watch this show. <laughs> Coming up, what a difference a couple of weeks can make if retail investors gotten burned yet again by Bitcoin. Tom Sosnoff will go off next. All right, call this a massive case of sell the news. Since Bitcoin's ETFs launched, it has been a rough go for both the digital currency and the ETFs. Bitcoin is down big since they began trading. Many of the ETFs that are supposed to track Bitcoin are not only down because they're tracking it, yeah, but they're down actually more. The ETF's lackluster performance leading J.P. Morgan to downgrade brokerage from Coinbase, citing, of all things, waning interest in Bitcoin ETFs. What? But ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood, whose ARK BTC ETF 
also was down today is not concerned. Here she is on CNBC. We think that uh, the J.P. Morgan downgrade is a very short-term call. It follows prices. Not surprising. Uh, we think that it does not consider the institutional um, wall of money that we think ultimately will enter this space. So is the Bitcoin tail that is the ETFs wagging the Bitcoin dog? And does it appear like the little guy, maybe you out there, kind of got hosed over again? Joining us now is... Tasty Trade founder and CEO Tom Sosnoff. There's been cases, Tom, of buy the rumor, sell the news. This is one of the bigger ones of those that I can remember. I know it's early, but this is not the outcome a lot of people thought. No, it sure isn't, Brian. And, and this was a classic buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say is that that I think I think the thing that people are maybe missing on this is I think the person that benefited the most was actually the retail investor. I think it was the institutional investor that got caught at the top because they couldn't participate in the cash markets. I think the retail investor caught a huge break on that run up from about 25, 30,000 all the way up to 48, 49,000 in the cash markets. So for us, we saw a lot of retail investors lighting up and we saw a lot of institutional investors kind of choking on the, you know, on essentially on the on the offering of the ETFs. Do you, do you worry that the you know, people pressed for these forever. It took the SEC years to approve them. And now you hear J.P. Morgan saying, well, waning interest. I mean, what do you make of that? No, I, I think this is great. I mean, short term, I agree with what you just had up there with Kat, what Kathy just said, because short term, it doesn't really matter. But longer term, this is a way that that every investor can participate in the technology behind digital assets. And you know there's going to be an um you know there's going to be an ETH ETF coming out soon and eventually there'll be other ones. The the technology um this is essentially a technology play and the technology behind digital assets is just far too valuable and long term it's such a diversified asset class and it's so non-correlated to anything else that it is an important part of long-term portfolios. I think you're going to see, and this gives, by the way, this gives investors like now the opportunity, because remember, you can short these ETFs now. You can't short the cash market. Soon there'll be options. So it's going to give it's going to give investors optionality. This is a really important, um, you know, what, what ultimately happened is very important in the short term. It was just it was bid up way too high. You know, the 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 institutions, the hype behind it all. It gave retail investors a chance to get out. And unfortunately, institutional investors got a little bit caught holding the bag. But still, long term, this is a this is a great play for just about everybody, just because of all the optionality that's that's come into the marketplace. Yeah. Our, our, I mean, and Bitcoin has done well off its recent lows, but still below its all time high over 60,000. Tom, do you have yeah. a point of view on on Bitcoin itself? Um, I mean, you know, the problem with with all digital assets, remember, for, from a retail perspective, in, especially in America, because because other than Coinbase, you know, all the online brokers like, you know, like Tasty, like Interactive Brokers, like um, anybody else that Robinhood, anybody else that offers Bitcoin, we were really limited that, to a, a very small group of digital assets. And we were only limited to long plays. You couldn't short them. There's no leverage. And still, they were really popular. I think digital assets the potential, Brian, the upside potential, you know, um, simply because of the asymmetric opportunity is just ginormous. 
And so, I mean, am I, do I think Bitcoin's going to 100,000 in 2024? No, but could it be back up to, you know, 50 or 60? Of course. And and I love the upside. I, I like the fact that it pulled back, what, 22-ish percent since, you know, since they launched these ETFs. So right now, you know, it's it's pretty attractive. I bought some today, <laughs> if oh, that matters. Buried yeah, the so, lead. So, so I'm a bull. I'm a bull. You buried the lead. I should have started. Brian, I bought some Bitcoin today. What other questions you might have? Uh, Tom, Sosner. I have one more thing for you, Brian. I just want to tell you your comment on the last segment about cops. That is a bucket list place for anybody in this listening to this show ever. <laughs> I love the mention. Thank you. Outside, we got Brookfield, Wisconsin, Greenfield, outside of Milwaukee, a couple locations. I wasn't picking on them. Everybody's suffering through inflation and the daily custard flavor. You got to always just hope for the hope for banana. Some days it exists. Some days it doesn't. Tom, greatest, Sosna, place, greatest place ever. Yeah, appreciate it. There you go. Shout out to cops in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right. It's K.O.P.P.S. All right. Let's get to our quicker than the ticker. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Massive flooding in San Diego, California, causing a state of emergency, a storm system with heavy rain, causing the wettest January day ever for the city. The Federal Trade Commission ruling that TurboTax engage in deceptive ad practices. The FTC says the tax filing company ran ads for free tax services that many customers simply didn't qualify for. They're now barred from marketing anything as free unless it's free for everybody. Union membership rates hitting new lows last year. Just one in 10 American workers are now members of a union. That according to the BLS. Robots joining the production line at BMW. They are five foot six, weigh 130 pounds, and work at the company's South Carolina manufacturing facility. It is a collaboration with a tech company called Figure. And the vote is in. And the number one restaurant to eat at in America, according to customers, is Tumerico vegetarian and vegan Mexican restaurant in Tucson, Arizona. That, according to Yelp's top 100 restaurants list. All right, coming up, it is a corner of the market that probably makes your eyes glaze over until now. Why insurance stocks are suddenly one of the hottest places in America to invest. But you know what's going up too? Your insurance premium. Contessa Brewer is here with more on that next. Here's a loaded question. What is going up faster, insurance stocks or your insurance premiums? You probably noticed the latter. But did you also know that names like Allstate, Brown & Brown, Chubb, and WNR Berkeley all hitting all-time intraday highs or record highs going back 50 years? And home and insurance and auto giant Progressive has now almost tripled in just five years. So what exactly is going on here with us tonight for more on the insurance industry and the stocks is our friend who covers insurance for CNBC, Contessa Brewer. Contessa, I mean, what's behind the run of both? Well, for one thing, because the insurers are now hiking the premiums, which makes investors happy because there means there could be a return on their investment because they're able to hike premiums they are performing better. For instance, Travelers, which is the first of the lot to come out with earnings, just reported quarterly records for the fourth quarter in core income, core EPS. They, uh, the return on equity up 24%. That's driven higher by highest, higher interest rates, of course, because insurers, where do they put their money? 
in fixed income portfolios, which now because of higher interest rates are paying a profit. They also have been in what's known as a hard market now for a couple years. What a hard market is, is it means premiums are going up and that they're able to charge what they think the risk actually deserves, which for years and years they have not been able to do. It's been especially acute in auto insurance where regulators have not allowed some auto insurance, for instance, in California to charge what they say it costs them. So what we've seen is auto insurers as an industry have been paying out more for loss costs, paying out more on claims than they take in in premiums, claims and expenses. Another reason why their costs are going up so high is litigation. In fact, we heard from J.B. Hunt saying, look, we had our safest quarter on record, and yet we're seeing premiums going up 50, 60 percent. Why? Because of litigation costs. The verdicts are astronomical and litigation settlements are skyrocketing as well. Third, climate change. Last year was the fourth year in a row, Brian, where we saw global insured losses of $100 billion or more. Half of that, more than half, came from thunderstorms in the United States. Yeah, a lot of flooding out there. I want to go back to the car thing very quickly, Contessa, because okay. I, I drive a long way usually every night. I mean, it's unfortunate. I see horrible wrecks all the time. I mean, it's depressing. I, is this all the cell phone? Like, what's behind all these severe, I mean, massive accidents? Insurance Information Institute just put out a news release just this week that said the number one culprit for distracted driving is, no duh, our phones. So when you go out and you complain about how high your car insurance premiums are, you have to look at your own behavior in the car and are you putting yourself at risk. But by the way, you can have never had a crash and your insurance premiums are likely going up. If you have a teenager in your house, Good luck. Your premiums are going up. If you've had a wreck, you know this already. Your premiums are going up. Never had a wreck, haven't had a ticket in 20, nobody in my family has in decades or years, whatever. And your premiums are going up. 40%. I called, by the way, I called them (laughs) and they brought it back down because they automatically assumed my mileage has went up when they did not. Contessa Brewer, public service announcement. Thank you, Contessa. All right, coming up, putting a lock on criminals, a big development out of Apple. Joanna Stern with that next. All right, there is a new feature in Apple's latest iOS update that you will want to turn on to protect yourself, your data, and your money. And it follows a year-long investigation from the Wall Street Journal's Joanna Stern on the nationwide uptick in iPhone thefts, features called stolen device protection. Joining us now is Joanna Stern. Joanna, great work on this. I think Apple responding basically probably directly to your reports. What is this and what does it do? Yes, so yesterday Apple released iOS 17.3. And usually these dot releases, they don't have that much in terms of features, but this feature is very important. It's called stolen device protection, and it is in your settings menu under face ID. And when you go in there, you turn this on. If your phone and your passcode were to be stolen, this setting protects your device and your data in a really significant way. It basically disables or it lessens the power of the passcode to do a whole bunch of things like steal your money and steal your data. So when you turn this on, you're just getting a better layer or an extra layer of security. Looking at my phone right now. So you go to you go to passwords and settings. You, you go to you up, go to settings. Yep. And then it should say face ID and password. Face ID. Passcode. So settings, face ID and passwords. Turn stolen device protection on. But 
you will have to have had up to upgrade to the la very latest version of the operating system. Correct. iOS 17.3. And so I, if I'm hearing you release. right, people still, they get your phone, they get your passcode. They still be able to do some stuff. They can text people or whatever they want, but it somehow blocks them from accessing a lot of apps where they could do serious monetary damages. Yes. What we had reported is that throughout the year and over the last couple of years, there have been a new wave of crimes happening in many U.S. cities. And what these thieves do is they steal your iPhone, but they also are looking for your passcode. And that passcode can not only unlock savings accounts and all other types of fi financial accounts, because it will get you get people into the password saved on the phone. On top of that, that passcode lets you do a host of things in the Apple settings menu, like turning, changing the password to your account. That's one of the first things the thieves do. They get into your account, they lock you out so you can't get back in on your Mac or some other device. So this is going to help with some of that. Yeah, it, and tremendous work because the, uh, some of the reporting you've done about what, what happens and the vulnerability that people have to get your passcode, because to your point, let's be honest, th this is not a phone. I mean, to call it a phone is almost insulting to the poor device. This is, this is a computer that can access, if you allow it to, all your bank accounts, all your friends, all your family, and random strangers. And absolutely. And one of the biggest things was sort of shocking when we started reporting this is it's an obvious crime in some ways. Oh, the passcode. But it's a, sort of shocking how much that passcode could still do on an iPhone when you do have face ID, when you do have other biometrics. So this definitely helps with that. And, and to your point, I think it also highlights the fact that when you're on these phones and, and one of the most damaging things we've heard from victims is when they get locked out of their Apple accounts. The money, the banks usually refund it. Credit yeah. card, same thing. What happens with Apple? Apple doesn't let you back into your account if some of these settings are enabled. And that Great. means you lose decades of photos, decades of your information. Great work. Join us during you and your team. Thank Fantastic. you for highlighting it. All right, of course. Very important. Thank you. All right, let's end with a sully side up. Some stories that might put a smile on your face tonight. It's about Buffalo Bills kicker Tyler Bass. 50 million of you watched him miss a game-tying field goal against the Chiefs. Since then, he got abuse online, of course, deleted social media. But despite the wide right, some Bills fans are stepping up. They have donated to Bass's favorite charity. It's called the 10 Lives Club Cat Adoption Group. They've received more than $146,000. I know it was painful. Another wide right miss. But you're doing the right thing. A lot of other things went wrong for the Bills that game as well. Don't forget it. We'll see you tomorrow night on Last Call. Have a good one. Leaders is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.